For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the second episode of Believe in Softball. We are breaking down the game and all the different aspects surrounding it here on Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and I'm so excited about our guest today. But first, I want to go over a quick roundup of some interesting things happening right now in softball. We're at that point in the college season where hitting is starting to stabilize. Batting averages can be super inflated or a bit deflated in the beginning. So getting more at-bats in those game reps is more important than ever. Speaking of which, Team USA played at the University of Arizona this week, and Jesse Harper hit not one, but two bombs off of soon-to-be Olympians. What a message as she's chasing Lauren Chamberlain's NCAA home run record. You love to see it. That's a midweek game on TV in February against current USA Olympians. None of these things existed a few years ago. And seeing the love between Wildcat Nation and Deja Malipola as she came back on campus with the national team got me all up in my feelings about the softball community and the bright future that it has. But the biggest tearjerker, UCLA's Genevieve Perez, the comeback kid. I don't even know where to start. She's actually the niece of NFL Hall of Famer Troy Palomalu, but more importantly, she became a mom a couple of years ago, hadn't played softball since, but got her first hits back in uniform at the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational this past weekend, including two home runs, aka the mom bombs. I love it. But while watching one of her at-bats on TV, her son Levi said his first two-syllable word, happy. All the feels, people. Not to mention, I spent enough all-nighters in college as it was, just trying to survive school and softball, let alone raising a human. So Genevieve, I'm throwing daps to you, girl. Respect. And all of these things naturally bring up certain topics that I'll discuss today with my wonderful guest. So without further ado, National Player of the Year, two-time All-American, former competitor with Team USA, and my classmate at Stanford, Ashley Hansen Church. Thanks for calling in. Ash, I actually just realized that last week in our first episode, we hosted Alyssa Haber, one of our former teammates. And now here you are in the second episode. And Haber actually led off for us in college. And you were in the number two slot in the lineup. So it seems like a pattern here. Maybe I should make my way down the batting order. What do you think? <laughs> That's absolutely right. I really appreciate you having me on and inviting me on to join your second podcast here. So excited to have you on. And today we're going to talk about a few things. So one, you know, college season is two weeks in and a big part of the game is starting to get in a rhythm, hitting. We'll talk about the approach at the plate for at-bats. Otherwise, we'll get into a little bit about life after softball, your career, parenting, all of it. And then we can't let Ashley go without chatting a bit about Team USA as well. So As we dive in, quick reminder that Believe in Softball is available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. 
of course. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts on social. And yes, you can also reach me on Twitter at JennaBacera01 with questions, comments, and more. Well, let's get things started here between the lines on offense. You were the 2011 National Player of the Year with a 495 batting average. Essentially, that's a hit every other at bat. Insane. And of course, there's practice and the drills and all of that. But when you actually get into a game, the approach to each at bat is everything. And you can't control a whole lot, but you can control that. So especially for college players right now getting the preseason game reps. So how would you describe your approach for your at bats? To me, it all starts with a plan. Having a game plan before you step in the box. I'd even back it up and say, before you even step onto the field for that day, you're you're understanding who you're going to face. I took a lot of mental reps during batting practice in pregame. It's also about staying balanced. You you can't get too high and you can't get too low. That means Mm -hmm. not letting your previous at-bats or any of your teammates at-bats affect the present state. It really is, as, as I've gotten older and post-softball, I, I wish I would have meditated more because it really is this state of being mindful and this state of being present that when I was in a flow, I naturally got there. But it would have been such a valuable tool meditating or helping practice get there when you go through the mental slumps that are inevitable in this sport. So, you know, it's, it's walking a fine line between gathering additional information, yet not overanalyzing. Is the pitcher tipping off any of her pitches? Maybe you can see it. Maybe you can't. Some pitchers, I see a different grip for a slight change in the delivery for a certain pitch. And it was easy. It came easily to me. And I use that to my advantage. But mm-hmm. other times, JB, you might've seen something I couldn't try too hard to force something that I couldn't see in those moments. It was a valuable piece of information for me, but I didn't want to lean too heavily if it just didn't come naturally. I just couldn't see it. I couldn't pick that one up. I'm going to still go in with my plan and my approach and, and see the ball and hit the ball. Another example that I've experienced is uh, and seen others is this mentality of, she got me out on this one pitch last time. She must be going back to it and <laughs> stepping into the box and assuming that she's going to go with the same plan that she did that got that worked last time. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. You know, that's the part that you can't control. And so in those moments, when I start to feel like thoughts are going down that track, I would default in going back to the basics. Keep it simple. Be on time. And lastly, be aggressive. Nobody becomes an All-American by drawing walks. Oh, that's so true. So true. And you were very intentional on every pitch. What was your routine physically you would get into the box? Yeah, we talked about once you stepped into the box. So I used my pre-pitch routine to control what I could control in my at-bat. As soon as I stepped across that white line, it was game on. So what did that look like? I I tried to slow the game down. I took a really deep inhale and exhale while staring at the barrel of my bat, right where I wanted to make contact with the ball. And I would think a short, quick affirmation to myself, 
sounds kind of cheesy, but it'd be something as easy as I'm going to do my job. It's not a, what if she does this? What am I going to do now? You're not, it, there's no time for thinking once you're at that point. Stepped into the box. I swayed my bat back and forth to keep my body really loose and relaxed. And I drew my attention on the pitcher's release point. A lot of people don't talk about the importance at that moment to keep your eyes relaxed. Mm. Too often, especially young players, want to step into the box and have laser focus on the release point or where the ball is. In my experience, you actually don't want to narrow in your focus too intently too soon. Your eyes are muscles and they start to fatigue and get tired when they're tightened just as much as if you were to try and, you know, make a fist as tight as you can for as long as you can. So I tried to keep my eyes in the region of the release point until the pitcher started the wind up. And at that time is when I would really start to narrow in on picking up the ball out of her hand and really try to focus in and have narrow focus in on the ball. Everything we do is hand-eye coordination. So that makes total sense. It's such a big part of literally anything on the field and especially hitting. And it's already hard enough to hit. So you might as well give yourself that advantage of not overstraining. I like that. Yeah, it, it's the little things, especially you know, as you progress in your career, the fine tuning, you often don't need these just huge mechanical adjustments anymore. Once you're playing you know, at the elite high school phase or in, in college, it's these little things. It's the little things that add up that you just get that 0.001% better and giving you just a little bit more advantage or a little bit more edge than the person on the other side of the, of the fence than you. That, that really makes the key difference. Do you think those little things are what pushed you past the edge of good into great? Great question. You know, I fell in love with the game at a very young age watching my sisters play. I have three older sisters. They all played softball. They all paved the way for me. And I had the privilege to watch hundreds of games before I started playing myself at six years old. From that young age, I was always a student of the game. I was always the player asking questions. You can ask Coach Rittman. He probably was tired of me asking questions, even <laughs> at the collegiate phase. And using those questions to build my softball IQ, to learn, to ask the what if this happens, or what if I didn't do this, what would happen? And, and starting to collect all that, that knowledge. As I grew older, I also realized that I hated losing more than I loved winning, <laughs> which really led to a good isn't good enough mentality. But, but now I reflected a lot on my playing days. I realized at a young age that I leveraged a lot of God-given talent and that I was in the right place at the right time a lot. Hmm. A lot of folks may have looked at my credentials at a younger age and thought I was great. But to be honest, my work ethic at that time was subpar. The moment that I personally feel like I crossed from being good to being great was the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college, actually. Coming off of a sophomore season that I personally wasn't proud of, good wasn't good enough for me. And that summer is where I fell in love with working on my game. I fell in, in love with outworking my competition. I started doing early work and late work and inviting teammates to join me. 
And to me, that was the defining moment of me realizing my full potential, even though to the outside world, it may have seemed that I was great. That, that really was the pivotal moment for me. Well, that's the summer before you became player of the year. So it makes sense that that's when it all clicked. <laughs> it, it did. And it's, it's something to be said of being able to go to sleep every night, knowing that you worked harder than everybody else out there and that you gave it all that you could give it. And at that point, you can really go to bed knowing that whatever happens, you're at peace. You're at peace with the game. You're at peace with yourself. You know that, you know, win or lose hit or strike out, you at least prepared and did everything you could and controlled what you could control. It makes the outcome irrelevant at that point. Controlled everything you can control. Yes. And can you actually, as a left-handed hitter, can you share some insight on lefty hitters facing lefty pitchers? You know, as a righty, I always felt like we faced right-handed pitchers every day. So what's the deal with lefty-lefty matchups? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that just having a strong lefty on the other side is is rare. You know, you like to your point, we see righties all the time and there is a very minimal advantage of having just a little bit longer for the ball to travel just that extra amount of distance from the right side to the left side that that you have an advantage with a right-handed pitcher. But for me, the lefty on lefty was more just because of the, the rarity of it happening. Uh, I think the only adjustment that, that really comes to mind is the necessity to stay on the ball a little bit longer. Mm. A lot of those lefties that we faced, Kalani Ricketts really comes to mind, had that nasty curveball that would just start on the outside part of the plate and end in the batter's box in the right-handers batter's box. And so the ability to pick that up and differentiate, you know, ball from strike and to just stay on it and stay through it to go opposite field a little bit was to me really the, the main difference between facing, facing a right-handed pitcher. Well, being a left-handed hitter and right-handed infielder clearly was a great combination, obviously player of the year material. <laughs> I really think my first travel coach for switching me around to the left side, uh, Tanya Williams. And she, I was such a small little kid playing up and in the older, with the older divisions that I was hitting right-handed naturally. I'm a natural right-handed hitter and I couldn't get it past the infield. So she said, why don't we just flip you around? And that way you have a little bit of an advantage to get to first. I, I just slapped. I just slapped for my first three years hitting from the left side. I wasn't blazing fast, but it taught me hand-eye coordination and just how to make contact, how to make contact, how to make contact. And that really translated well once I started playing with my own age division. I started to swing away. And really till the end of my playing career, I took pride in being a contact hitter. I, a gap to gap, find the holes, wasn't going to have digit home runs in a year but just doing my job to get on base and let others let others bring me in it's that growth over time and speaking of which we're going to switch gears a little bit into your life after softball and how you've grown there so what do you do for a living now 
I work in business operations at Google Fiber. So I've been at Google now for six and a half years, believe it or not, starting my time here at YouTube. And then I've been at Google Fiber for the past five years. Wow. Living that tech life. Yes, it has been. <laughs> it's been great. I, uh, I started in Silicon Valley where tech was born and raised, and it has actually allowed me and my husband to move out to Salt Lake City, Utah, where we live now. Uh, and I get to still work for Google Fiber here. And it's been, it's been a really great transition and get to be involved in our tech careers, which has been a, a true blessing. And with your family, you're a new parent with your one-year-old son and you have another one on the way, a girl. Am I allowed to say that? A potential yes, future softball player? Girl. Yep. I think she'll be the class of, oh gosh, <laughs> 38. So be it, you know, on the lookout, college coaches. I love it. I love it. What's parent life like compared to your playing days? Wow. That is a thought-provoking question. <laughs> There are so many comparisons between the two. Just like in softball, you are only as good as the people around you. You need a good team around you. And I am so lucky to have the privilege of having, one, a very supportive husband, but two, a sister-in-law who lives down the street, who is our nanny and so much more for us, who has really been a lifesaver of of helping us balance and maintain, you know, our work, as well as knowing that our, our kid is in the best hands that we can provide. Um, not to mention all of the family and friends that come to visit and surround our son with so much love on a day-to-day -day basis. But as I think about our approach to parenting, I see even more similarities to the approach I took toward my playing days. So we've mentioned this time and time again on this, but constant learning and getting better and controlling what we can control. You know, from a young age, our son had to deal with eczema and allergies, and we had to go through trial and error to figure out what works for him, what doesn't. We did food elimination. We did testing. We tried every cream, eczema cream that you can think of <laughs> on the market, changed up bath time routines and more. And throughout the process, it's important to gather information, not getting paralysis by analysis. Mm. And it's essentially learn and adapt, rinse and repeat over and over again <laughs> until you find what works. Um, the other thing that I think I took for granted is the importance of time management. So babies love structure and a schedule. As much as I wanted to think that I could thrive by winging it in college, I, I realized probably toward the latter half of my college days that time management and planning actually enabled me to be my best too. And right. so luckily I was able to take that personal learning, how I learned the hard way and adapt a lot quicker for my son than I did for myself. Because it took me so long to start planning and preparing properly, the number of all-nighters I had to pull at Stanford have really helped prep me for the sleep deprivation of parenthood. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I remember the days. Oh, oh yeah. Man. I think we there were many, many nights where we probably started to lose our sanity just a bit. Oh, yeah. Maybe more than just a bit at times. <laughs> now that I'm a parent, it just seemed just a bit. At the time, it seemed Fair. even more intense. And then parenthood has taken the sleep deprivation and kind of 
sanity levels to a whole nother whole nother place. Uh, I think I think there's one more piece that I would I would jump in and add uh, that translates between the two is is taking care of myself. It was often my last priority during my playing days, and it's still honestly something I work on every single day. To similar to my time as an athlete, you can only bring your best self for your team if you take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. And the same goes for parenthood. I can only be the best mom to my son if I take care of myself first. And, you know, you can't, you can't pour from an empty glass uh, to, Mm. to leverage that saying. So as an athlete, that would include things like going into the training room for minor injuries or preventative maintenance. I didn't like to take the time out. You know, we had, we had, homework, we had to eat, we had to get some rest, we had to go be social or live a life. It was the last thing on my priority list. And in parenthood, it, it's very similar. You can make a lot of excuses for not doing those things. But, but what I find is I bring my best self when I carve out time to work out, when I carve out time to meditate, when, I'm, when I find time to be vulnerable and ask for help when I need a break those all translate well to, to when I was at my best on the, on the playing field as well. Yes. Self-care, it's all the rage, but for a reason. And you also previously coached a 16 and under travel team for a while with your husband when you lived in the Bay Area. Now that you're a parent, how do you look back on the parents you met in those days? And is there anything you learned that you'll take with you? Oh my, this could be an entire podcast series and <laughs> you're ready for that one. Okay. It could be an entire section, but if I had to share the biggest learning, it's gotta be the amount of excuses that my husband and I witnessed parents make for their kids. Mm. And the most surprising part to us was that their kids allowed them to make those excuses on their behalf. It's just something we'll never do for our kids. And the environment I grew up in and something I learned from my parents and watching them with all four of us girls play careers, I will let you guess, you know my parents, JB, I'll let you guess the number of times my mom or dad talked to my coach on my behalf throughout my career. Yeah, I'm going to go with zero. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. It was a big whopping zero. They, they really made me face my own problems head on. And it's something I plan to impart on my kids as well. It's smart. You know, they need to be prepared for life. And that's definitely sports is a way to do that. And this is a way to learn in that process. I haven't seen any of my coworkers, parents come talk to their bosses here in the, in the real world outside of my playing days. And, and that starts at a young age and making sure that they find that voice that you prepare them to have those conversations, those difficult conversations, but you make them have them because life is full of really difficult, challenging conversations, much more challenging than, than why aren't I playing that instilling that at a young age and, and having them hear it direct from the source themselves is a very powerful learning tool. I'm sure you had a lot of time to think about this too during your maternity leave. I know you said you still watch college softball on TV. Didn't you say that was a big part of that maternity leave time? It was a huge part. I had my son last middle of last January 
And um, that is my, I'm very fortunate working at Google that I have five months post postpartum of maternity leave, which just ideally ran me right through middle of June, which is right after the, the World Series wrapped up. And all I can say is thank God for Apple TV multicasting. <laughs> I can have four games up at once. Amazing. And the fact that there are four plus games to choose from on TV at any given time absolutely blows my mind and makes me so proud at how far we have come. You know, there are over a thousand games broadcasted this year. And my husband might tell his friends that we subscribe to ESP Plus for UFC, but the real truth is we subscribe to it for college softball. And that <laughs> is so awesome to be able to say. I bet your dad is proud too of all of your TVs or your picture in picture, because I'll never forget going to your parents' house whenever we were playing in Arizona and seeing all the TVs that he had in the living room. Yes, exactly. And for the, for the listeners here, my, my dad had our big screen and above our big screen before there was really picture in picture, he had three smaller screens set up each with their own thing. I guess you could just say we are a sports family and it's in our blood. It's in my blood to, to want to be able to watch multiple, multiple at the same time. And speaking of games on TV, Team USA. I mean, this tour that they have right now, you wore the red, white, and blue in your day. And you were actually one of the youngest to ever be invited to try out at the time as well. And so right now, Team USA is on their tour playing a lot of top college teams leading up to the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. What are your thoughts? Yeah, first I'll start with one, playing for USA was a dream come true. I, I grew up watching them dominate on the world stage. I would go, growing up in Arizona, I would go to UFA softball camps to learn from Coach Kendrea and meet Jenny Finch. And I had pictures when I was seven years old wearing Leah O'Brien Amico's gold medal around my neck. Wearing the red, white, and blue was my childhood dream coming true. We're back in the Olympics this year. So exciting. I, I can't wait to watch this year's team on their journey to reclaim the gold medal. They have some veterans like Monica Abbott and Kat Osterman that are that are really coming back and, and paving the way from a leadership standpoint. And luckily, I also timed my mat leave perfectly again because <laughs> I head out at the end of April and I will be watching their journey in Tokyo while I'm on mat leave. And the most exciting part is I'll be watching it with my little girl and and hoping that she will have that same opportunity when, when she grows up and that it will make a return on that stage because that is, that is the ultimate stage for softball. And, you know, I just want every little girl to be able to have the same dreams that I did. Of course, of course. And I know that with you and your husband, Nolan, as the parents, they're already set up for success. I appreciate that. And in general, you touched on it already but anything else that you hope for the future of the sport? Yeah, just to elaborate, you know, first I want to appreciate where this sport is today. We mentioned this already uh, a bit of the TV coverage, but today's society really wants quick, exciting, unpredictable action. Doing this right now with XFL to design a game to be more fan first, 
Right. The amazing thing is softball checks all of those boxes and it always has, but now it's given the TV coverage where people are starting to see it for the first time. And during our playing days, you got to watch the postseason and maybe you had a few conference games sprinkled in throughout the duration of the season. But now, you know, this past weekend was a great example of the St. Pete Clearwater Invitational. You're watching postseason type of softball and competition in February. At the very beginning of the season, you get to watch young women compete and grow as athletes and people for all four consecutive years, whether they go far in the postseason or not. You get to learn who they are. You get to see their consistency as a player and as a human. You know, the national attention that Sis Bates and her incredible athleticism at shortstop or Samantha Shaw and her bat flips has gotten is <laughs> unprecedented. It, it really is. And it has provided them, along with so many other young women playing the game today, a platform to establish brands for themselves that, in my opinion, will transcend with them beyond their softball careers, they will be able to leverage that brand to make whatever they want of it, whether that be through softball or any other type of career. You know, my husband is in HR and watching all of the, you know, the Samantha Shout bat flip was such a big thing towards the end of last year. You know, he would just make comments of, hey, if, if that girl doesn't stay in softball or doesn't go into coaching, how do I get her to join my my team and my company? <laughs> you know, that, that type of brand, that type of ability it's it's life-changing and and to me that's what I hope for the future is they continue to be able to have a platform where they can build themselves and build a career for themselves no matter what they choose to do could not agree more and speaking of what we'd choose to do so I have one last question I'm going to turn it around on our listeners in terms of watching softball would you rather be in the stands, front row in the stadium, for the Women's College World Series championship deciding game, or the first Olympic opening round game in 12 years at the Tokyo Olympics? Let us know what you think, but for Ash and I, either way, I think it's safe to say that nothing replaces the field. <laughs> nothing at all. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ashley Hansen, for joining us on this second episode of Believe in Softball. Your insight has been really informative, and I always just love catching up with you, too. Likewise, JB. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And thank you all for listening in. It's been a great time. Remember, Believe in Softball is available on your go-tos, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Again, you can find us at Believe.com and on social at Believe Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, share, hit us up, and reach me on Twitter at JennaBacera01. Hit me up with some questions you'd like to hear more of. Thanks again, everybody, and catch you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.